You are in The Swamp with Marcella Aberdeen and Karina Gutierrez. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in. Today's feature topic is Comey Gate. So we're going to be talking all things about the recent firing of James Comey, the FBI director. Um, we're going to be talking with Daniel Lippman, who's a reporter for Politico. He's also the co-author of Politico Playbook, which is the most indispensable morning newsletter for the biggest influencers in politics. So you should all be checking out Politico Playbook every morning, um, where Daniel's a co-author. Um, I'm also here with Karina, of course. Hey, what's up? My co-host, my lovely co-host, and Pablo Manriquez of Fuck Off Pablo, WikiLeaks fame. Thank you, Marcella. <laughs> so, Great to be here. <laughs> thanks for joining us again. Um, again, don't forget to like us on Facebook at The Swamp. Follow us on SoundCloud, The Swamp Podcast, as well as Twitter, um, and give us your feedback. So, cool, we're just going to jump right into it. Um, Daniel, can you just give us a little bit of background on yourself? Um, and like how you came to the swamp, how you came to be in this. <laughs> oh, by the way, sorry. I always forget to say we are in Lower Georgetown. We're not on a swamp, but... We're in a row house right by the Potomac, but it's yeah, overlooking the Potomac. Right. It's important for the audience to know like a little bit of context about the location. Like this would have been a, a, literally a swamp, like, a, you know, what, 100 years ago, 200 years ago? So, I think we were built on a swamp or something. Yeah. Yeah. Things, things, will, things will go back to their normal state in 20 years. Yeah, the climate change is going to rapidly approaching. But yeah, so... So that's you, our location in the swamp. Yeah, that's our location. Currently. <laughs> um, but anyways, back to Daniel. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for joining us. So I uh, came to the swamp about nine years ago. Uh, I went to George Washington University. And so, uh, you know... Obama was getting inaugurated right as I was coming to D.C., and it feels uh, kind of like a different world now. Um, but um, I interned at a number of places uh, in college and uh, after college, and I've been at Politico for about three years. Um, and kind of in a, had an unusual start to my journalism career where I uh, would read a lot of news, and I'd sometimes notice errors or typos in stories. And I'd email the reporter telling them, That's so you funny. know, uh, there's uh, something wrong with your story. That's so funny. And so uh, <laughs> that eventually led to a profile in Politico and a lot of internships. And so... That's kind of my... Uh, you so they were profiled, profiled in Politico for like political. being the fact checker? Yeah, like the DC's independent <laughs> fact checker. That's really funny. So as a Washingtonian, you've just witnessed your first change in power. Yeah. Can you describe what that experience has been like a little bit? Uh, you have to, basically, if you're a journalist, you have to develop a whole new set of sources. And uh, all of these people come into the administration and the White House, and they are all... Uh, you have to meet a lot of them, take them out for coffee or drinks or lunch, and uh, see if they can help you uh, learn what's actually going on. Uh, what's interesting about this administration is that they haven't filled out a lot of the jobs in the different agencies and departments. And so it's kind of like a lot of these cabinet sectors are home alone, where uh, they don't have that many people actually putting in Trump policies. So it's the bureaucrats running the show in a bunch of different areas. 
Yeah, that's so interesting. So when these like are like an undisclosed source in the White House, those are the people you're like courting. Those sources, like I don't also like who who are they talking? You know, like it is interesting when you're reading political journalism because it is very like almost blind items because it's always like a source, a source. Yeah, basically you have to have uh, two sources for everything that's very you know important or embarrassing. Mm -hmm. You can't just have one person be unless they're like super reliable. Because you don't want people to mislead you. and uh, But there's a bunch of White House uh, officials and aides and staffers who talk to uh, people at Politico, to us, uh, the Times, the Post, uh, kind of dishing on what's actually going on. And so uh, you'll see reporters, you know, text uh, people all the time about, you know, what's going on or what's the intrigue and... Uh, Remember that we had that story a few months ago about how Sean Spicer, he looked at staffers' phones oh. to make sure that he was that they, oh, weren't, they weren't leaking. leaking. <laughs> yeah. I missed that story. I mean, I remember when Trump was all pissed about like the leaks, but I missed the um, Sean Spicer. Um, so, I assume like in this in, in, in that kind of uh, environment, then you'd have to probably go through some additional protocols that maybe you didn't have to go through before just to protect your sources. No. Yeah. So a lot of people are on the apps like Signal and. Uh, you meet in person. You don't, you know, call. You're not going to call their work phone and say what's going on. Uh, you know, if you're like people that work for uh, the top officials, like Jared Kushner or Bannon or uh, Priebus, then uh, you want you know you want to protect people that are your sources. And so, um, what's funny is that Trump is the biggest leaker of them all. He talks to journalists <laughs> all the time, and so. Uh, have you ever talked to Trump? I have met Trump once. How uh, was that? It was a trip. He's actually a very nice guy in person. Uh, you where, probably know this. Where did bit. you guys yeah. meet? Uh, we met at Trump Tower on the 26th floor, like the week before inauguration. And he was very nice. And um, I, right outside the, uh, the office, we met Steve Bannon and Jared Kushner and Gary Cohn and they were all. Did you talk to Jared Kushner? Because I like, did. What does his voice sound like? <laughs> it's very, uh, you know, it's very soft. Uh, it's like he and Ivanka share that like soft voice, that, like the, you know, little silky. Yeah, that's weird. They're like robots. <laughs> Ivanka's like hi. There's a, Ivanka and Jared are a big subject of swamp gossip. So if you, have, just, any, if you yeah. have any, there was a great Daily Mail story today where they're like spotted. Um, you know, going to the gym early on at like 6.30 a.m. There, there's pictures of them doing that. They're and very out and about. Like Ivanka's running in Rock Creek Park and they're like at restaurants. Oh, yeah. It's what I always thought, thought, thought was funny was like you could tell the changeover in power because um, instead of Obama people being spotted at different restaurants. So that's one of our features in Playbook. Um, you can subscribe at politico.com slash playbook. Um, That's politico.com slash playbook. Nice. <laughs> Thanks for the plug. You'll, I'll, I'll give you a cut. Um, the, uh, but it shifted over once you know, Trump took power and all of the people were sending us spotted of Jared and Vanka and uh, Kellyanne Conway uh, at different restaurants in D.C. And so it was kind of the new guard taking over. And you can really feel that in the air in D.C. Yeah, it's a different. So where are all these people going out? What's so far? What what have you noticed? The tips you're getting. What what's the main area that you see them going out? Um, so, um, if you really want to suck up to the Trump administration, you 
go to Trump Hotel. And so there are people. <laughs> that makes there's, sense. That makes sense. There's yeah. a lot. We met Rudy. Just I, I've heard that. Oh yeah, you met Rudy the other night. What did, what, what did he? Have yeah, the like? sons. The sons love their family hotel. So, but the sons aren't in D.C. very much. They're traveling mm. the world trying to, uh, you know, make themselves rich, um, which they seem to be doing an okay job. But, uh, and it's hard when 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 your father is a president. You know, are you really going to get that many people are saying like? you know, going to turn down your business deal. Right. So speaking of, sorry, um, speaking of Trump Tower and sightings, Pablo, you had an interesting sighting there related to Comey. Should we just dive into it? So it's a very brief sighting. Okay. Um, But a friend of mine uh, had posted on Facebook that uh, a prediction uh, after Comey had been fired that Rudy Giuliani would be his replacement the argument, or his, his argument was basically like, Rudy Giuliani is very loyal. He also has a deep background in intelligence. So uh, after we had gone on, a, on, on basically a tour like that included like, you know, the, the West Wing, the Oval Office and all these other things, um, which was cool. Like I, I, that that's actually was a big difference between the tour that we got from the Trump White House as opposed to the Obama White House tours was they actually gave, they actually took us into the, the, the actual functional White House instead of just like, you know, letting us take a selfie with the Jackie Kennedy portrait in the East Wing or something like that. Um, but either way, uh, we get to the, a- afterwards, you know, we, we decided to go to the Trump hotel, uh, and sort of grin and bear it for a little bit. And, uh, who walked in, but Rudy Giuliani, the guy who, you know, my friend predicted would, would, um, uh, become the next a- a- FBI director. So I, we, we, we approached him, we were with several Marines. Um, and you know, he saw like, obviously like, you know, four or five big guys walking toward him and he kind of turned to like, you know, it was very late at night. It was probably one in the morning. He turned to kind of walk away and we said, oh, you know, uh, Mr. Mayor, we have some Marines here like a, who like to, you know, who are big fans. So, you know, he said, oh, he turned to, like on a swivel, just turned around immediately. I love Marines. I love Marines. Who's a Marine, you know? And then, you know, so they introduced themselves. And I said, so, Mr. Mayor, can we get a picture with you? Or actually, should I say Mr. Director? <laughs> and he said, Such no, an no, nothing like that. I'm not going to be a director. That's what they all say right before they're like, <laughs> right, exactly. Exactly. Well, he had cut his from the White House. He had been ping, ping-ponging back and forth from... I don't know if it was from the Oval exactly, but it was definitely he was definitely at the White House because we kept hearing when we were at the White House that, you know, he was there. And then, you know, when we were at the Trump Hotel, he kind of came in and out a couple times and we caught him on the last on the last round. But I don't know. It seemed like he was making the rounds. And, you know, I don't know. I would assume that. Yeah, I think they uh, there would be so much backlash to him as FBI director because he's such a Trump loyalist. And when you're you want an independent director of the FBI, no matter what party you are, uh, because you never know, like, it's a 10-year term. Mm. And so um, do you really want someone who is uh, a partisan of uh, one side or the other? Right. So, yeah, let's jump right into this Comey stuff. I mean, first of all, exactly. What What is happening here? So you're saying you want an independent director of the FBI. People are saying this was a political move. Um so yeah, what 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 happened? First of all, why why was he fired? So it seems like there's a bunch of different explanations, and yeah. it's and it's shifted over time. So first, uh, the excuse was uh, the you know the direct the deputy attorney general and the attorney general they you know were uh, they produced this memo. That's saying, you know, that uh, Comey wasn't doing a good job and, you know, had failed the FBI over the last year or so of this Clinton investigation. And they they gave the memo to the White House. And then Trump was like, well, 
here it is, and so we have to get rid of the guy. Um, so, and like, the, he wasn't doing a good job specifically because of the Clinton investigation, or was there other stuff to it? Was that the main? Uh, that was the main of that three-page memo okay. uh, from Rod Rosenstein. Uh, but then Trump said today that he uh, he would have fired Nicole no matter what the DOJ said. So he kind of like, uh, he contradicted his vice president too, Pence, who reiterated that it was all about this recommendation from DOJ that... Uh, but what happened was, like, Trump has been very angry and furious at all of uh, Comey, you know, going on TV a lot and talking about the Russia investigation. And uh, he doesn't want his FBI director to be more famous than he is. That's what he said to uh, Comey. Uh, and so, or to James. Um, that's what he called him at the White House reception. Uh, so it looked like, they hadn't had this excuse from last week, which is that Comey had misstated something to the Congress. Mm. And so once he did that, then it was like off yes. the races. So was that the statement where Comey was like, it makes me nauseous to think I could have affected the, the election? Like I read some Washington Examiner report said in the testimony, they were like, do you think that you're reopening the investigation affected the outcome of the election. And he says it made me nauseous to think that. And the Washington Examiner report said Trump was furious that, like, he said that. And that really, yeah. Yeah, I think he was, uh, he was very angry about that. But also the fact that he never really cleared Trump. Uh, he, like, Trump wanted him to say, like, you know, uh, Trump is fine. You know, he's not on an investigation. Mm -mm. And Comey would never say that because it's an ongoing investigation. And um, so the we have this issue also where the sitting FBI director now uh, is contradicting the White House. Where uh, you know on Thursday uh, this week you had uh, okay, just call. <laughs> you're fine. Go, 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 call, call the FBI. Pablo went yeah. down the road. It's okay. You're getting poisoned by the Russians. <laughs> It's the Russians again. Uh, no, but you had this uh, odd contradiction whereby the uh, White House had said that Comey had lost the confidence of uh, the rank and file in the FBI, and uh, the sitting FBI director said, "No, actually, he, you know, he was he was doing fine. He was, you know, he had the confidence of his agents." And so they really can't get their stories, you know, in one clean line. It, it seems like there's sort of like a TMZ element to everything I'm reading. And, and uh, you know, there has been a lot of talk about this being, like, you know, a reality show, you know, the White House, all eyes on the White House and the way everything's playing out. Do you feel like there's sort of uh, a TMZ element, just a lot of speculation about people's feelings, about, you know, relationships, rumors? Just to piggyback on that, yeah, like, this whole, like, thing with the FBI, like, is there, because there, these stories are so conflicting, like, is there a war in the FBI right now? Like, what, what is... Uh, so there's definitely, you know, some conflict in the FBI, but that was more last year when FBI agents felt like either Comey should not have gone out and said all this stuff about Clinton, uh, or he should have definitely charged uh, Clinton with a crime, uh, or, you know, he shouldn't have... Uh, you know, had that letter to Congress 10 days before the election. But right now it doesn't seem, it seems like the war is between the FBI and the White House, mm -hmm. where the White House wants to, is very scared of this inquiry 
into the Russian connections. But doesn't this just shine the spotlight stronger onto the Russia stuff? Like you're firing, him? like that's what. Yeah, it's totally shooting yourself in the foot if you're President Trump because, uh, you know, you just made a lot of enemies. Behind these people have subpoena power. They, they can really, you know, uh, make your life not very fun if you're the president. Question. So this sounds like this whole cluster that we're talking about here sounds like there's a lot of different like it basically sounds like a, the, the crisis is that the White House failed to get their story straight before they went public with a message like there was a there were reports today on Fox News that um, there were people and actually we, we, we when we went to our White House tour on uh, on Monday or Tuesday whenever it was. The Monday, I guess, um, there was an ice cream social that the, the second lady had hosted, and some of the communications. Who is the second team, lady? Like, who is the second? Uh, Mrs. Pence. Karen Pence. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I know her name is Mrs. Pence, but like, what's her name? Who is she? <laughs> who is this mystery girl? Yeah, <laughs> this mystery. They're having an ice cream social, and there are members of the, there are senior members of the White House communications team there, and they're they they, they when Comey was fired. They had to be like gone. They actually had a runner go and go to the ice cream store and be come back to the office, come back to the office. They had no idea this was going to happen. So when you have your communicators who don't have their, who, who have no idea that the story is going to be going on, my question for you as a journalist is: Does this make it easier or harder for you to find the truth if they can circle the wagons around a lie? And never break from that lie, then obviously, like that's going to be the party. Like you know, it's, I feel like when the Obama administration was here, they typically had their story straight, but the story wasn't always true. Whereas now you have a hundred different stories. It sounds like, and the stories only continue to multiply. And how? Which is which is more ideal? Which is more conducive to good journalism? I think there's uh, been a lot of good journalism in the last few months uh, since Trump was you know took power. Uh, the issue is sometimes White House. Uh, officials will mislead you purposely and they'll tell you something that is uh, not true or they'll, uh, you know, either to, for, you know, fun or just like, a, they've called it sport, which is like mislead reporters, see who can get the, you know, craziest stuff in published. Um, we used to have that at DNC. <laughs> so the, uh, Crazy kids. you didn't sign an NDA? <laughs> no, we had a, no, we never signed an NDA. We, but our, ours was, ours, ours was a keyword of the day. Oh, what nice. word could you get quoted on the record? Oh, wow. like hogwash, bilge water, you know, <laughs> barfing Newton, that kind of thing. So. Uh, but <laughs> it does seem like they don't, um, you know, play by the normal rules sometimes. Uh, but they do seem they they are really obsessed with how they're covered, and so even if you like say, you know, one little thing that is like off by a millimeter, they will email you right away and make sure it's corrected. And so it's not they're not having as many meetings, but it's like staff meetings to discuss like what should we do in the White House. It's more like let's you know make sure we're being covered properly or where we look good in the eyes of the media. I read something that like Obama and I think it was actually in Politico. I don't remember. I think it was Politico, but that like Obama's administration was just as opaque with the press as Trump's and that this is kind of their strategy. And like, actually, they were both similarly like pretty like confrontation. Like they both had difficult relationships with the press and Donald Trump's is just like a different strategy, but in the similarly like opaque. And is that part of what's going on in terms of these like like confusion stories is that tactic uh yeah it's a tactic a strategy uh, all that i think what people criticize of the obama administration in the white house for doing is that they went after journalists who you know learned of and pu published some nasty 
sensitive national security secrets. And so there was all these leak investigations. This was the time of Edward, Edward Snowden. Snowden. Well, by the way, Edward Snowden is anti the firing of the FBI director, which I found mm. interesting. He tweeted, Why is that? Oh, he I mean, tweeted about it. He, I don't even know. I, he was just like, if I can be against this, so can you, because I've been under investigation. And Wiki- I mean, it's, you know, you're talking about somebody who served their government for many years, and a lot of people think that it was done in a really hasty, dirty kind of way. Um, I mean, and, they, Edward- and a lot of people have been speaking out and saying he, he's a great guy. I mean, there's a lot being said about him. Um, have you ever met him? Do you, or have so you- I've never met Comey, but uh, he lives in McLean, uh, a nice house that he was spotted at uh, the other yesterday. Of course he lives in McLean. Uh, he was spotted at home. Yes, by all these <laughs> photographers and reporters hanging out outside. Uh, very tall guy. like uh, He's six, six foot eight. Yeah, That's crazy. he's a giant. Six eight? Yeah, he's six eight. He, he, uh, his like thesis in college was about like religious morality and public life. And, uh, like we had a fun night in a couple days ago in playbook about, um, how, what happens to all of Comey's stuff in his office since he was fired when he was in LA, Mm uh, visiting the field offices and giving training. And so when he flew back to DC, there was questions of, would they even let him go on his government Ooh. private jet? Ooh. He was able to board it and came back to the swamp. Last time on the jet. Right, and then it's somebody <laughs> that served their government, so it's yeah. a little, But you know. And what happens to all his files and, like, his notes? And so will he, we just asked some questions. They, the FBI declined to comment when I asked them, will he be able to get his, like, knickknacks in his office? They declined to comment on that? Yeah. Why? <laughs> They just, they don't like to, the FBI. They could not confirm nor deny the presence of knickknacks in his office, Marcella. (laughs) That seems a little extreme. It does seem a little extreme. Um, So any of these other characters, like uh, Rosenstein. Didn't you say you had a funny story about Comey? That was the story. Oh. Uh, they, well, can he get his, you know, stuff in his office? I thought, oh, I thought it was going to be like a personal story, but that was good too. Yeah. That was a funny one. Um, How feared do you think overall is James Comey in Washington? That's something Tucker Carlson said the other night that I thought was interesting. Like, he basically said that for years and years, he's had guests on the show for national security issues, and they all had this something to say about James Comey being feared, but that um, they would never, they were never willing to say it on air. I thought, I thought that was like, a, I don't know, an odd thing that Tucker said. Well, I just think, again, like Karina was saying, it's really interesting because there's all these reports like he was the most divisive character. Or he was the most like, he was made enemies everywhere. But then like you were saying, people were saying, no, there's loyalists and there's friends. So it just seems like he's a very, I don't know, it doesn't seem like there's a straight answer on... James Comey is as opaque as the Obama administration's investigations into leaks, I'd say. Uh, he does seem like you don't want to cross Comey because he will find a way to like mess up your life maybe eventually. Yeah. And so, uh, if James Comey's listening, you know, I, I'm a big fan of yours. Yeah. <laughs> don't, 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 don't give me a high five if I could reach I mean, high, does sir. he have like l- people that are loyal to him though? Because it seems like the Democrats don't like him. The Republicans, obviously. I mean, what, like, he always had this weird, who's, who's friends with Comey? Don't like him. Yeah, the Hillary people hate him, which I also find interesting, though, because now they're all up in arms. What what Comey, what do you have to know about Comey is that he uh, sees himself as this, like, moral, righteous guy who always does the right thing. And that can sometimes get in trouble because he doesn't realize, mm-hmm. you know, when he's driving off uh, into a ditch. And so uh, <laughs> he he seems to always oppose 
people in power. So whoever his bosses, he like goes against. So he did that with uh, Obama. He did that with Bush. He did that with Trump. Uh, so he always gets in these situations where, um, you know, it's like people who like always get in accidents. You know, like you're like, can't you like keep your life together? Um, the best story about Comey in the last few months was uh, in Gizmodo. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember this, but uh, this writer tracked down Comey's secret Twitter account where he followed a bunch of accounts. He like favorited. He didn't tweet anything. He was followed by one uh, other account who was. Uh, it was like, actually Comey. Yeah, it was actually Comey. Okay. It wasn't like Alt Comey or something. Uh, <laughs> no, you know how there's like Alt National Park, Park Service I mean, now I and mean stuff? movement in <laughs> national intelligence. No, I didn't mean it like that. I meant it like the alternative Comey. But his like only the, per- the person. Fake news Comey. Yeah, the fake news Comey. The person who like followed him was, you know, was a Brookings Institution like fellow who's a friend of Comey. <laughs> and that was the only Twitter follower he had. His and he followed friend. like a bunch of like accounts like the New York Times, you know, Trump. Uh, his, I think his, like, alma mater. And so it was just, like, a way for... And you hear, I hear stories about how, like, even Supreme Court justices have secret Twitter accounts. So funny. And yeah, so, I've heard that, too, actually. Like, just for, just for, for, for following and observing. Yeah, and just yeah. getting the news. And uh, I don't know if they're, like, dumb enough, like, Comey to actually, like, favorite tweets. <laughs> I don't know why he was doing that. Did he have any, interesting, any interesting favorites? There was some... some <laughs> yeah. Everyone should read that story, but... There were some interesting favorites where it was like, you know, New York Times stories that were tweeted about the FBI investigation into Trump. And a couple of them were like, they were good stories. So he just he favorited, favorited it. himself. Yeah. Okay, so the, <laughs> I like this one. Uh, well, I was, maybe I was a source for that one. <laughs> well, going back in time a little, just back to this whole Hillary debacle, like that whole situation is also a little confusing because it's like, what was he doing there? He was just seemed to be, I mean, he seemed to be making the Republicans happy, but then also making them mad. Like, do you think that was, again, all just about moral righteousness? Or was there, like, what was his the driver for all that Hillary, like opening it up, then closing it. Then it just seemed why, like, why did he do was it? The 28th of October. Is it the did, October there surprise clarity about like why he reopened that? Uh, so I think he probably regrets that to this day secretly. If you ask him, uh, they, he had promised Congress that he would not, that he would tell them anytime there was an investigation that was reopened into Clinton's emails. He had shut down the invest or he had closed the investigation in July and but so this was all in a case of trying to make sure that there wasn't interference with you know uh, the political election and so but basically he was honor bound to yeah Congress. and so but there's this rule where you can't not there's this informal rule that you're not allowed to um, you know influence the election sixty or so days before it with like an October type surprise and. Uh, for a person who was trying to do that, he totally miscalculated and completely swung the election. Because without that, without that letter, I think Hillary would probably be president. Because do you really think that, though? <laughs> I, 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 th- I don't. Why don't you, Pablo? I don't think that it was close enough in Michigan, Pennsylvania. I mean, like honestly, like by October 28th, it, it shouldn't have even been close. It was the worst, um, you know... We basically like the, I think that our campaigns were looking at data as closely as they had in 2012 and 2008 from the onset, and the it wasn't a data election; it was a messaging election. So, with all of the infrastructure and stuff that was put into data, 
what was lost is just going out and talking to people and evaluating what they actually wanted to hear. Like, we used to go, like, during the 2008 and 2000, well, in 2008 election in particular, door-to-door with a clipboard and ask, clipboard and ask people a lot of questions. And then in 2012, we re-upped that information from the same template, from the same matrix. That was, there was no emphasis whatsoever on going door-to-door with a clipboard and rediscovering what people were interested in. It was just sort of an assumption that Obama did a great job. Everybody's going to love him. All we need to do is make sure that we don't mess this up. Like, this is ours to lose. But when it's, when it, when it's, when it's not even October, that's way too late. When the, de- when the WikiLeaks happened, when these things happened during, surrounding the Democratic National Convention, it became kind of a catastrophe. The amount of money they were paying the army of consultants that they were paying somebody should have surfaced and said let's at least go back to the basics of 2008 and 2012 instead it was well people are going to vote for hillary because she's a woman and we need to make sure that she believes that till the end and And i'm not i'm not agreeing or disagreeing with pablo but i think also we didn't realize until after the election the enormity of this, you know, this so-called movement that he created. Right. Well, actually, the, two, the Swamp was... podcast is following uh, Karina. You, should, you can speak <laughs> to this. It's actually been really surprising for somebody like, you know, living in D.C., for me anyway, observing and hearing your guys, as you hear Marcella's stories about, like, the interactions you've had online with these people. Here in D.C., we get the impression that these people are, like, all sort of like foaming what, what at the mouth, racist. Well, it's like people who oh, are like, you know, like, well, you, well, you, do you hear the reports of like the Donald Trump supporter being archetypically like the foaming at the mouth racist who carries a Confederate flag around? But that's not what you guys have found at all. I think post election, people are finally starting to realize that a lot of those people are, you know, for example, people in the Rust Belt that feel neglected and ignored. I mean, I think there's a lot of things going on. I think it's hard to like point to one or the other. I think there's like literally an army of like ironic Trump supporters. It was just like we hated Hillary so much. I think another thing like we talk about this a lot. We talk about this previous podcast is like the underestimation of like the dislike, the history of the Clintons. I think the messaging was off. Um, But also I think that so then there was just people who are like, fuck it. Like this is all a shit show. Like I'm just going to throw my chips with Trump. I mean, there's a lot. I mean, I think there are foaming at the mouth. There were just as many. I think there are people foaming at Hillary voters as there were per Trump. And there's also there's like, you know, uh, there are people who definitely are intellectuals uh, who support Trump and, you know, who were. Uh, you know, had their pet issues, whether it be build the wall, but there's like, or immigration or trade. And these are like smart people and they, they, a bunch of them voted for Trump. So it's not just like people with, you know, who are machinists and were out of a job in Ohio. Well, as a progressive, I found it difficult to vote for Hillary personally, because she, to me is pretty hawkish. She was like any in Europe, like people always say that she'd be a center right candidate. She wouldn't be a left candidate. So if you're actually properly like left progressive, we didn't feel like we had a real option to be honest. There's a lot of things at play. I I remember you you yourself, you you were, you were cast, you had to go way out into like the, the demo, the, you know, the the candidate pool to, you know, find like a, Jill Stein, I think it was like who you yeah, oh, uh, yeah, I mean, just yeah, like, and that wasn't unusual. That wasn't unusual with like a lot of the people that we dealt with because after the Bernie um, campaign was no longer, you know, uh, in contention, 
a lot of people had to fan out. So I want to ask Dan, though, a real quick question before you go. I read, I don't remember if it was in Politico, uh, Politico.com slash playbook or uh, Politico.com slash influence, but there's a hilarious story the other night about an altercation that a lobbyist had in the Florida hotel lobby. I don't want to, like, you know, get too much into it, but I, I was I was reading through it, and it just kind of lit up. My, um, a, a lobbyist went to some event and just got wasted and ended up, like, saying some very inappropriate things to somebody in a hotel lobby and then getting arrested and posting bail. Um, in your time as the wizard be, as one of the wizards behind uh, Politico Playbook, what are some like what are some swamp stories that just stick out in your head that, that were exclusive to Playbook that were just like to you just absolutely hilarious? Uh, let me you know tap my memory banks. Uh, I think we've had a, like a ton of those that we people like so we have a birthday section and so people sometimes send in their own birthday and these are people who are like you know top reporters at major publications. <laughs> And they just, uh, but they're very, uh, you know, they want to make sure that their name is listed prominently. And, That's uh, so DC. And so it's people will spot, like, themselves at restaurants, or they will email us and say, like, I saw you at a restaurant, too. And so it's... Uh, for the any, narcissism is real. We were talking about this earlier, but, you know... It's your birthday, Marcel. Groundhog's Day. Don't forget it. Pablo and I were talking about how, like, this town, this book by Mark Leibovich is a New York Times reporter uh, for the magazine. It came out a bunch of years ago, but it still represents, like, perfectly what you have to like, know about D.C. Uh, and the social and political and media... Uh, landscape here and how it, it's all connected. Everyone is like th two degrees of separation. And so even if it's you're swamp. a Democrat who, uh, you know, never voted for a Republican and you're a uh, staffer in D.C., you're probably only like three connections away from Reince Priebus. You mm -hmm. one to your friend, another to their friend of the White House, and then to Reince. Yeah. And so that's kind of something that I keep in mind that uh, these people are all in this like you know, whatever, 20, 20 square miles. <laughs> we so, are all Kevin Bacon so in this last swamp. last question. Um, so people are saying that the last time that, you know, this town was um, as shocked as they are right now was Watergate. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Just to close this up. Uh, like so, we were really quick because we were talking about earlier. We're like, is this just hype or is this is like, is this actually is shocking? This, is this what surreal? just happened? There's a lot of debate on this shocked? on TV today. Yeah, is it is it hype or should we be? Is this as much as I? Uh, I'm I'm glad that I missed Watergate. I'm only 27 years old. So oh, uh, yeah, we all did. We all. <laughs> <laughs> we're we're a little older, room, but including just, Chico, but we still miss Watergate. Is, how old is he in dog years? Uh, Chico is eight years old in human years, and but you know, but timeless and and and. Maybe Chico Chico, yeah. lived uh, <laughs> yeah. Chico lived through Watergate. Yeah, Chico did live through Watergate. But I don't know. I think it's um, it depends on how it plays out. It it could uh, simmer down, or it could just heat up the investigation and just the constant scandals. It feels like this week was a really bad week for the White House, uh, and uh, it does seem like. The West Wing is kind of under, you know, siege from the media and from Democrats and even a bunch of Republicans. And Trump feels like he he told Time Magazine this week that he no longer likes to read negative articles about himself because it's you know, it brings his mood down. So, uh, you know, he can stick to watching Fox News and hear Fox how great he is. <laughs> Love Fox News. <laughs> Shout we out know to you Fox do, Pablo. News. Shout out to Fox News. 
Well, awesome. Well, thank you so much, Daniel. That was very enlightening. Thanks very for interesting. Um, and actually, you can catch Pablo now. Oh, yeah. Mondays and Tuesdays. Yeah, Mondays and Tuesdays in the 9 o'clock hour on the Fox News channel, America's Newsroom HQ. Whoa. You you've my you've gone segment. to the other side, Pablo. Not really. I mean, like, they keep it fair. Steady, you know, it's, it's like politico.com slash playbook. <laughs> exactly. All the news is fits the, fits the email. Cool. Well, don't forget to like us and check us out on Facebook at The Swamp, Twitter, Swamp Podcast. Um, thanks for tuning in, everyone. <laughs> Another episode. Coming at you live from The Swamp.